Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? You can advertise your band, a new album, your company, a service you provide, or just yourself, and it will be heard around the world, and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. Email me at Conversations with Dwyer, and we could begin discussing how to get your advertisement up on an episode or multiple episodes of Conversations with Dwyer. Again, email me at Conversations with Dwyer at gmail.com. And remember, that ad will be heard around the world. Now, how about we enjoy this latest episode of Conversations with Dwyer? I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and if you've noticed, there was some music playing in the show. That is a song called Must Fight Current, and it is by Deerhoof, and it's from their album Deerhoof vs. Evil, and the gentleman that's singing in that song and playing guitar is my guest today, John Dietrich, and I'm very excited to... Uh, I've been a longtime fan of Deerhoof. I... Sadly, I can only say I've seen him play once. We talk about that briefly, I believe. I think that made it into the final cut. Um, but if if it didn't make it into the final cut, you could become a Patreon subscriber and hear the entire cut on uh, Patreon. And you can watch the video. You could watch uh, John's handsome face and my average face converse, laugh, and have a good time. Uh, speaking of, and and uh, if you want to become a Patreon subscriber, you go to the show notes and uh, that'll lead you to all things Matt Dwyer, as well as all things Deerhoof. I've put in the show notes so you could go buy an album of theirs. I own a lot of their music, and as you know, I often talk about supporting live, or not live music. Well, you should support live music, but we're in a pandemic, so support music by as much as you can, and uh, it's important. There, I sniffled. I'm sorry. I have bad allergies. I had really bad allergies during this um interview. So if you do go to the Patreon, you could watch me use a uh, tissue quite often. Not something I'm proud of. And speaking of my show notes, in the show notes, there is a link to a short film called Vantage by Jack Dunn. It's a really great short film. I highly suggest you check it out. It's uh, Jack Dunn's Vantage portrays a major city in miniature. Uh, He made a miniature city. And the short film was shot in Vancouver over a single Year of many, with many, excuse me, from many stunning uh, vantage points. It's visually, I've watched it, and it's great. It's visually spellbinding. It's uh, as intuitive sense of cadence of urban life and provides a different perspective of what it means to live in a great metropolis. And uh, it is, it's a very beautifully shot and splendid film. So I highly suggest you, it's in the link. Just go watch it. It's a few minutes long. And, uh... You're not that busy. It's not a Scorsese film that takes four hours. Not to knock Scorsese, because he's one of my favorite directors, and I love really long films, but I also love short films quite a lot. I guess one could just say I like films. (laughs) Rambling, bambling about films. But, uh, uh, you know, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know I do like movies because it comes up a lot. And pizza. I talk about pizza a lot. 
Um, and speaking of uh, past episodes, go to my Instagram, Conversations with Dwyer. That's a great way to look at old uh, who's been on the show, who's coming up. I, uh, I've had a wide array of guests, so please check out my past library. I've had Wayne Coyne from The Flaming Lips, Wayne Kramer from The MC5, uh, Leah Wellbaum from Slothrust is coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, so it's always exciting here. I was almost going to tip off another name, but I have, it's not official yet. I don't like to do that. So anyway... Uh, enough of my rambling and bambling. Uh, if, oh, well, here's one more ramble. If you like the show, please tell your friends about it. Uh, that's better than writing a review. And so I thank you very much for listening. And let's get to this episode with John Dietrich of Deerhoof. I grew up around music and stuff, but I didn't really like start taking it myself like seriously as a musician until I moved to Minneapolis. And it, that was kind of the reason I moved there. I, I was finishing a degree and um, I transferred there from UW Stevens point. And then basically, uh, you know, immediately was trying to find people to play with and stuff, which was very hard. But eventually I found Ed who is in Deerhoof with me now. And, um, and we started playing together and yeah, that kind of changed everything. I'm always, uh, how musicians find each other is always like, and click is always fascinating to me. Cause you always see those ads like up on billboards or, or, or like in dry cleaners and stuff. It's like, totally. we sound like, want to sound like yes. And kiss combined. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Yeah. I, I, uh, I met, um, so Ed, I met through basically, I, I moved to Minneapolis with, uh, two friends and we were all at the university of Minnesota and one of them got a student job doing filing. And one day he was sitting next to this kid with long hair who had big headphones and who was jamming uh, weird sounding music. And my roommate just struck up a conversation with him and it turns out he was a drummer and uh, he invited uh he invited my roommate to his show, which was at an anarchist bookstore that weekend. So that was Chad who ended up being a drummer in several bands that I played in. And then uh, the, the Ed was the guitar player in his band. So I went and saw them and just, that was the first time when I was living in Minneapolis where I was just like, these are my people. I had been trying so hard to find, you know what I mean? Like there was great music happening, but it was like, I didn't really feel, I, I didn't, I just, I was looking for something else, you know, trying to find like people who like to improvise, trying to find people who, um, I don't know, we're just, you know, just kind of interested in this weird music. And it was exciting to me to finally meet them. And I was incredibly intimidated. <laughs> yeah. Back in Wisconsin, did you feel like as a, as a younger person that you were sort of like, I don't know. I just think of like myself growing up and outside of Chicago. And I just felt like there's gotta be more, and what yeah. I and what I was getting input wise was very limited by the sp- right. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was very fortunate in that I had an older brother who uh, was basically four years older than me and was like into everything before everyone else was. So it would be like you know he introduced me to all of like the coolest music and it was just like, I could just go down into his room and like whether he is home or not and just like go through his tapes. And, you know, it was very, uh, I don't know, very fortunate. And he played uh, in bands. He was in the first punk band in my hometown and uh, made all these weird 
<laughs> weird, weird bands and like I could go into the basement and they would be like you know there would be, be like somebody taking a drum solo and then somebody else just like playing with a weird delay pedal and like it was, you know it was like really for you know just to get to see people doing stuff on their own um, and also like he got a four track pretty early and which he left to me when he moved away and like so that was my introduction to recording I was immediately like allowed to do these things you know um, so it, uh, how, what, how old were you roughly around then? That would have been when I was like 18 or 19 That's pretty Yeah So, And you just What kind of stuff were you recording back then? Did you <laughs> I, I, I still have I, I still have the tapes in the, the, I have them in a shed And I live in Albuquerque And in the summer It's like you know 105 degrees And the shed probably gets to 130 Because it's like a tin roof And so everything is probably destroyed Actually the Deerhoof tapes Are in there as well <laughs> um, But uh, but yes I mean I My brother left me A, a chorus pedal A distortion pedal And an envelope filter pedal So I can make the sounds like a and I could make spaced out chorus sounds and I could make distortion. And so I would just like plug my guitar into it and kind of improvise. Um, and I mean, I started, I mean, I was writing things at that point too, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's actually, actually I did do one thing with that music at one point, which was um, the, I went to Mills college in Oakland, which actually I just learned is closing soon. Um, but uh, for, for a year and they, uh, you know, I, I was taking this uh, electronic music class and you were supposed to, you know, well, just basically create a piece. And I ended up creating a piece collecting all of the most embarrassing bits of music that I could find from my, <laughs> like from that whole period, just like <laughs> incredibly embarrassing. And I, somebody helped me create a program to then just like, uh, arbitrarily grab selections of them and kind of bring them up and have them play for a second and combine with each other and, it's quite funny. Do you still have that? Or is that in that? I do. Shed? I do have it somewhere. Yeah. I'll send it to you if I can find it. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh what, and you were like in your teens already improvising on your guitar. Cause I've read that you said like the first time you felt connected to your guitar was improvising and not connected to any sort of tradition, which I thought was an interesting statement. Yeah. I think it's like, well, yeah. So I, I, my, I took piano lessons when I was really, really young. And, um, and I, my parents to their credit, like once I got bored with it, they were just kind of like, yeah, you don't have to do that anymore. And, um, so when I l later picked up the guitar, my brother and I both got instruments on the same day. He got a bass and I got a guitar. So it was nice because we could immediately start like, um, you know, working on stuff together, teaching each other how to play things and whatever, even though it's funny. I remember the day I got, I got it. I'm left-handed and I got a right-handed guitar and I didn't, it didn't occur to me that there would even exist a left-handed guitar, but I got the right-handed guitar home and I played it like a lefty. I, and I'm like, this seems weird. And my brother's like, no, that's not how you play the guitar. You play it like this. And I was just like, oh, well, that's really unnatural. But I guess I'll just learn how to play that way. <laughs> it's wow. funny in retrospect. All it would have taken was me being like, oh, I should, because we were renting. I could have just, I'm sure, just been like, can I get a lefty? But, <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, well, I'm sorry. What was the question? I forgot what I was saying. Oh, uh, imp improvising at a young age. Oh, yeah. So like. So, so I started doing that and I took lessons for a couple of months and I got bored again <laughs> and, um, and I just kind of like just lost interest and I stopped for a while 
And then at some point I, um, and I, you know, I didn't have the rental guitar anymore. And at some point I found a guitar in my grandpa's basement in Illinois, actually. I can't remember where he lived, but, um, and so I would just play it by myself at night, you know, like, um, on the bed, like I was literally just be lying in bed and just kind of, and I, for whatever reason, that was when I really connected with the instrument. It was like where it wasn't uh, like, maybe I just had an inferiority, inferiority complex or something with like, cause, cause you know, you hear this incredible, I was really into uh, metal at that time. And you're hearing, you know, just this, this sounds just like earth shattering, impossible music. And like, uh, and so uh, realizing that, I was never going to sound like anthrax or whatever on my own. <laughs> like, so it's just like, uh, yeah, for me, it was like, Oh, I'm actually connecting with it in this different way, you know, in this special way. Um, and then, so that was great until one night I felt I would always put it on the floor when I went to sleep. And then one night I actually fell out of bed in my sleep and shattered it and, and broke my, like didn't break any bones, but I like cut myself. Like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was curious about that because I, f- I, I, I feel like, we're I'm totally guessing, but in similar age ranges and is we sort of grew up in that guitar hero right era. And I was always like, and I was wondering if you had influences from that or desires to do that and then moved away because I know you've moved heavily into improvisation. Right. Well, I, I think like, um, I don't, I just don't know if I ever had the discipline to really do that. Like, like the, you know, to like Ed, my bandmate Ed can really like, I mean, he did, he did that. I mean, he was like studied Steve Vai and like, um, all these like shredder guitar players and like really learned how to do it. And, um, I, I just never really, um, I guess like maybe I just didn't care enough or something, even as as impressive as I thought it was, you know, I think I, um, and lately it's like, I, I can barely like, I have just no interest in, (laughs) it's probably bad. Like the the level that I have, I mean, I have lost all interest in like, like technical, like I just don't care anymore. It's just whatever, like, uh, I don't know. Like a lot of my favorite guitar players can like, aren't technical guitar players. You know, they like, they, sometimes somebody just picks up a guitar for the first time and I'll be like, wow, that sounds amazing. You know? And it's just like, it's more about like what people are communicating through it. I, I think it's, I, it's like, I don't think it's some bad thing, like this flaw or something where people are really into this technical side of it, but I've just lost all interest in it. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's slightly scary. <laughs> oh, Cause I've had a couple conversations along that, along the lines of that recently with a couple musicians and like, there are those people and personal friends of mine who are very technical and they'll, when we talk about bands that they will, their comments will be like, well, you know, they're not that, you know, technically that great or, you know, and I'm like, but isn't it more about what you said, communicating and finding that right. voice? Yeah. I, I, I would like, I remember, Actually, my old uh, bandmate, Chris Cohen, once I remember him saying something. It was uh, it was something along the lines of like. Just basically having this or maybe it wasn't a new realization for him, but it was for me was this feeling like um, just by whatever means necessary, getting the idea that you have out and whatever that idea is. And, And so if the idea is like speed and 
just, you know, whatever, like onslaught, like I'm a big Mick Barr fan and like, like he's obviously like one of the most like are you familiar with his music at all or i'm not I... oh okay but well, he's like a like an incredible shredder he has this band called orth realm um he also he's done a lot of things but like and some like i've seen him play like we played a show with him in new york once where he just showed up with his guitar and he's like can i borrow uh he was playing solo and um he's like, can I borrow a reverb pedal? And we were like, sure. And he just plugged his guitar into the reverb pedal, plugged it into his amp, and then proceeded to play a 45 minute improvisation that sounded like, like just like, like a, like church organ music, just shredding through the longest possible reverb. (laughs) And it was just one of the coolest concerts I've ever seen in my life. You know, and to me, like, that's an, like, in a way what I'm saying, I think is like, I like transformative stuff. Like I like it when people transform, like if it's just about uh, technique, I don't find it very interesting, but like if, if it's people what, taking whatever it is they have around them and transforming, you know, that's what is, is interesting to me. Uh, maybe this seems like a simpleton question, but why is speed always such, especially in metal guitar, but in other things like such an, like a achieve, like they're like, Oh man, he can play fast. I'm like, I don't understand why that's so great. I mean, I get it and I don't get it at the same time. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's funny. I definitely had a, had a moment. Like for me, the, 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 the guitarist that played fast that I was really into was John McLaughlin, um, like, you know, Mahavishnu orchestra and, and other things. And like, um, I think, but it's interesting though, because the first piece I heard by him was a Mahavishnu orchestra song called the dance of Maya, uh, which there is some shredding on, but the what's interesting about it is is the rhythmic feel the construction of the piece itself the chords and all this and then it kind of builds up to something massive and um and they're you know but like in, even in his case like the the way that he like he it wasn't like sheer like a lot of times it seems like what shredding is about is sort of erasing personality it's like through sheer speed making something perfect and i guess i just don't like perfect things you know what i mean like it's more like with mclaughlin and he also like you know played on like whatever bitches brew uh whatever that era of miles davis and like it's raw i mean he is like and and here's this 17 year old kid who's like a prodigy but coming into with these heavyweights and having to sort of interact with them and like and being told to like you know i don't even know what he was told but it seems like he was told to kind of like comp or like you know basically play kind of rhythmic guitar take little solos here and there occasionally take some big solos but like it's like but even there it's like it's there's this physicality to it. It sounds like he's terrified, you know, <laughs> and like kind of overawed by the situation. He's playing with Miles Davis and all these people. And like, so like in there, you sense this kind of primal terror or something, or like, or maybe it's, maybe it's not even that, maybe it's just him rising to the, to the situation. But like, I find, um, that really interesting and, and impressive and, and plus he's just like he's got like a very particular way with like a bizarre vibrato and you know this kind of stuff like it's personality yeah it seems too that music 
I mean, at its core, especially American music, there is more of a raw quality to it. And, you know, when you talk about blues or early jazz, and it's interesting that because I feel like we keep returning to that. I feel like we have these phases. I guess maybe I'm thinking more along the lines of like rock, but where it gets technically and then you get and then we go always go back to the basis core. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, like also like like listening to Muddy Waters or something who's, and like whose birthday it is by the way oh you're kidding yeah. wow strange <laughs> that's cool amazing <laughs> my, I remember my my brother gave me a Muddy Waters cassette I think it was called Birth of the Blues or something but it's like you know it's guitar and voice and like and it's one of those this is one of my favorite things in music it's kind of the inverse of shredding it's like where instead of uh, it's instead of having a surface of complexity, which if you like slowed it down is, is simply like on, on never ending, like whatever, 32nd notes or whatever it is. And like, uh, and, and, but like the content is kind of like, yeah, it, uh, what, what to me is like what way more fascinating is when you hear a surface and the surface feels like, uh, simple, and there's, there's this, like, when you hear a Muddy Water song, it's not like you're going like, wow, but it's like, this is technically impossible. You're what, what you're doing is like, you, there's all this subtlety. There's like this breath and, and I'll wait for two extra beats here. And, and, um, and the forms are actually super, like, if you actually break down, like if you were actually to structure or break out the forms, like it, it's actually, um, very complex um, because it's very human and he built humanity into his music, you know, like this kind of, uh, uh, yeah, human breath or something. Uh, I think of John Lee Hooker, like something like that too. I mean, lots of people, but I, I just think like, that's what I mean to me, that's way more fascinating because it feels like infinite. It feels like it, it feels like uh, impossible, you know, <laughs> way more impossible. Than <laughs> I don't know. I'm ripping on shredding. I like shredding fine. Well, I know. I know what you're saying because, and I guess this is another thing I keep circling back around in, in this context of my podcast and in life is like people who, shit on the blues are like well you know there's three chords if i can play it then who cares but i'm like but you can't play it you can't play yeah. it like john lee hooker you can't exactly. play it like muddy waters so go fuck yourself <laughs> yeah 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 and the, the interesting thing too like i mean i think about like you know i was talking about like mclaughlin or something like this shredding but he i mean he was obsessive he knew how hard that music was to play and knew that he couldn't play it in that way um and he also got really cheesy as later on but <laughs> Not muddy waters, Tom uh, <laughs> Yeah, is there is there maybe like do you need to have that tech, technical efficiency to be able to throw it away and then get to the rawness? If that makes sense, I don't think so. No, I, don't, I mean I personally don't think so. I mean, I know, I know. I mean, basically, it's like I think you know we talk like music is is a language, but it's like infinite languages, and I think some of them relate to like are connected to sort of historical genres or like traditional music or things like this, or, or, uh, or something they, sometimes they come out of that and become something else, but like ultimately like everyone discovers their own, like, I, I kind of think of it like, um, uh, 
it's like uh what's the the uh, mathematical it's like a uh, fractal geometry or something where it's like the it's it's so um, it's systematic, but the system is so is so vast and complex that um, everyone has to find their own ways of expressing themselves. And so, it's, how do I describe? I'm being very vague, but like, um, it's like if you think of like a like rhythm, it's like breaking apart time and you know you know say it's a sixty beats per minute. And so it's one beat every second. And within that second, you can break that in half and then you can break that in half. And then, um, and then you can keep, you can keep going. Right. So even if you're, if you're operating to a grid, there's like this infinite possibility in terms of when you like how you, uh, sort of paint, in within that, that time or whatever. And like, uh, one of the things that was really interesting to me, like I, I haven't done a lot of like solo things, but occasionally I'll be asked to do something and here in Albuquerque or something and I'll play a solo concert. And one thing I've really learned to love about that is, is that feeling of having control of time, becoming like a master of time, your own kind of time, you know, like it, you get to invent time. Like you're just, telling people what time is while by, by, you know, waiting. And then you hit, you know, at a certain moment and all of a sudden, like, that's like, it, it, it's like, um, I mean, I feel like that's very much like what I love about Muddy Waters is you have that feeling like they're they're They decide what time is um, as opposed to like, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. When you went into geometry, I got scared because I'm a math idiot. <laughs> oh, really? I, oh, yeah, yeah. Not my strong suit in uh, high school. Me, me neither. Trust me. I don't know anything about it. Basically, the, I have a friend who <laughs> I grew up with in my hometown who um, is this incredible mathematician, and he's written all these books um, which are intended, they're actually like, he worked with a comic artist. And so they're, they're intended to teach like really high level math to kids uh, or to kind of anybody to non-mathematicians essentially. And so they're like graphic, almost like graphic novels. I don't have one to show you, but they're, they're, um, and, but I, I got really inspired reading it because it, it kind of, it made me feel like there's this sense. I feel like with, uh, music or uh, maybe especially with like music that has an element of improvisation in it, like that it's like random. And then like, but then the people get really good at it and it, and it makes it seem like it's like this technical thing. And I feel like um, maybe that's true, but it's like, it makes it seem like, like maybe there's like, it's kind of like, I think it's maybe why people get interested in God, <laughs> or the idea of religion. <laughs> It's like people want to connect to something that we're all connected to, you know, that within your, whatever your uh, religion is, like you have this idea that everybody is connected to it and everybody and everybody who isn't connected to it in your way is wrong, of course. But, um, But like with something like this, it's like we are connected, um, like the, our physiology is connected and, and, uh, and you like with like essentially like, we're all operating according to the same principles. And maybe when we're in tune with these principles, that's when it's like, that's when the tune is good to the people listening to it. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's it's not a sophisticated what idea whatsoever, but it's just, it occurs to me that maybe there's, there could be like 
reasons that we have no idea why, why people like are like, yeah, like I connect with this. So this is really hitting right now. Why is that? You know what I mean? Like if you're at a concert and all of a sudden you can look around and tell everybody's like, like enraptured. Um, but you can't, you can't performance wise, you can't fake authenticity. Like if you're faking it, the crowd always knows it. it I mean, I don't, hope that's not putting it simply. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's funny that I will say it though. There are times like often, often like we will, like when, like when deer have play shows, like we'll get off stage and be like, that was the worst show we have ever played. And invariably I'll talk to somebody after the show and be like, that's the best I've ever seen you guys. That was definitely the best show I've ever seen you play. And it's just like, why is it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to say, I wonder why that is. Cause I've had moments like, uh, I used to write on a small comedy show and the stuff where I was like, fuck, this is terrible. This is going to bomb at the table read Yeah, would be the better stuff. And I was just like, yeah. it wasn't that like, I'm free. It's coming out of me. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Totally. I mean, for me, like that's also very related to that actually is like, uh, for me writing for Deerhoof, I basically just, completely given up any like like sense that i ever will know what anyone else is gonna like like in the band like even within the band it's like these are people i know more than better than anyone else and like i'll just like um the stuff that to me is throwaway everybody will be like that's it and the stuff that um that i've been working on nonstop for two weeks and they're like eh, (laughs) it's fine (laughs) You know, I mean, maybe that's it, though. I mean, like, did did you find any connection between the stuff that like the stuff that you thought wasn't going to do well that that did? Do you did you ever find any pattern as to why? No, (laughs) except the only thing I became aware of is if if I was miserable and struggling, that maybe I should just keep pushing through because usually that was there was a reward at the end of it. But it didn't mean I was comfortable within that moment. I still was just like, Oh, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. Once in a while, there'd be an idea that came out of nowhere that I would, would be like, Oh, this is something like, okay, this, you know, now let's see if I can execute it. But like the, I definitely knew where an idea was great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Was there, Oh, because there was something you said I uh, read about um, writing with Deerhoff and how you. Uh, I hope I can find it because I have the worst. Oh, actually, creating accidents and holes to fall into is something you said about creating songs. I thought was interesting. Um, Does that make sense? I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, holes. I mean, I have really bad allergies. Oh, uh, I don't. I actually, we got them here too right now. I've been taking pills. Yeah, they don't work, man. Really? Not for me. Have you tried the have you tried the uh the the shots? No, I got yeah, I should do that. Have you my my wife she is a, we moved to New Mexico 10 years ago or whatever and her allergies got super bad. Um like to the degree she was getting like um like rashes on her ears and stuff and um she started doing the shots and um after like a year or two of it, uh, I mean, it's, it worked. I mean, it cured her. 
I mean, she still had, when it's peak season, she still um, has them a little bit, but it wasn't, it's not anything like she had before. Anyway, this is a digression. <laughs> no, we could talk allergies. <laughs> what, 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 what was the quote again? What did I say? Uh, let me see if I can find on my computer. Cause I, I, I don't know why I insist on writing things in a notebook. Like, uh, Oh yeah. I, at least you have a book. Mine is just like random, like like four by three pieces of paper um, that I scribble on both sides and then scrunch up and throw into a corner. Oh yeah, I used to. I still do that actually, and I'll find like just fragments, and I'm just like, what does that even mean? Yeah, I once found a. a a note to myself that said Alice B. Toklas gets asked to the prom and I still (laughs) (laughs) I still have and that was over 20 years ago and I'm still like have no idea what that meant yeah you're gonna find your way back there someday (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the quote would be when it comes down to a guiding philosophy creating accidents creating holes to fall into then you have to that you then have to solve ultimately it ends up being more interesting and more fun is the quote right um maybe i'll just start making up quotes and yeah yeah, totally (laughs) i'll I'll believe you well i i i think maybe what i was probably talking about is like um i said creating accents accidents accidents yes ah sorry i thought you said accents okay um yeah that that is very much uh uh something that we sort of built into uh, like how Deerhoof works. Like, um, I mean, like basically, you know, we work on these songs really hard. We, we, you know, by the, like we rehearse them like crazy and try to get to where, like, we really, um, try to explore every avenue of like, what's, what's the best way to approach this? How, you know, what's the best, you know, guitar tone for this particular three second section, everything. And then when it comes down to it, once the second you're at a concert, it's not that like it's all out the window, but you're, you're, the whole idea is that, um, we're, we're there to communicate and every night's going to be different. And, and everyone's, we all respect each other's like imagination. So if someone has, uh, an idea, um, and even if that idea might throw, like potentially throw the whole thing, uh, out, out the window, like it's part of our, our process that that's, um, acceptable and it doesn't even mean that the other people will like it and we might even have an argument about it later and be like that kind of sucked like you just totally screwed us or you know that kind of thing but um but but still the 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 basic assumption is that that's okay to do and it's worth taking those chances because sometimes they pay off and um and but and then the other thing is like as far as accidents um as you know in those situations it's just inevitable that like at least one time a night, something is going to happen regardless of how perfect, you know, it's like something is going to happen. That is like somebody will break a string or somebody is like a, or break a bass drum head or a snare head. Um, or, uh, the pedals will stop working or the amp will blow up or all of a sudden the monitors go out because the computer went down at the front of the house or whatever. And so, and we don't have anybody, I mean, we have a person who does our front of house sound for us, but we don't like have people helping us on stage during this concert. So it's like, whatever happens, we just got to deal with it. And so the way we generally do, do that is, uh, 
is by not having a plan and somebody just do something, you know? And so sometimes if it's in the middle of a song, it means three quarters of the band um, improvises for five minutes while somebody fixes, you know, finds another amp or something, that kind of thing. But it, we, we've just found that like, rather than treat all of those things as, uh, you know, bummers but <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. actually actually treat it as something like like this is an opportunity uh to to and, and and it's really true like those are the concerts too where where it can be if you're the one who's like who's just broke two strings or whatever it's you know it's high stress in, in like you're you know you can be stressed out or whatever. And after the show, you'd be like, God, that, that sucked. And that will be a show for sure. Sometimes where it's like, someone would be like, Whoa, that was really amazing. Like those guys went into this weird thing. And, and, uh, I'd never heard that before. And it's like, yeah, it's, no one's ever heard that before. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's funny. Cause I'd never heard that. Oh, well, go ahead. I was just going to ask that of, cause you said like earlier, that some nights you have those shows where you're like, Oh, that wasn't very good. And I was like, is that because you guys were improvising? you kind of were in unknown territory. Yeah, sometimes. Or, or it's like, I mean, I, I think too, it's like the, the, I think the, like the, the most difficult thing in our band is uh, singing, you know, <laughs> trying to sing on top of what uh, uh, all this other stuff that's happening. And like, um, especially if, if the band goes off, it's one thing to, you know, to, to, be operating in this free space or whatever. But if you're trying to, you, if you're, you know, supposed to be, you know, singing in this very particular relationship to everything else and everything else is just like, <laughs> it's uh it can be hard. It can be quite difficult. So, I mean, yeah, the burden often falls on Satomi. Like she, like, I think it's, um, so I, I think that that can be hard. And so we're all, I mean, part of it has to do with also managing stage volume and stuff like, cause all of us can be loud and uh, the drums in particular, like just cause it's a, you know, the guitars are going through amps. We can just turn on, turn a knob and turn it down. But with the drums, it's like he can, um, if he's, if depending on the size of the room or the shape of the room, it can be really difficult uh, for her to hear herself. So we have to just uh, be able to adjust to that. I, the first time I saw, actually, I've only seen you guys play once and you probably remember the show. Do you remember Adam McKay's birthday party that you played at the Echo? Park? Yes. <laughs> yep, I do. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. I, I'm old. We, Adam and I started out together in Chicago and I just, I had never seen like that Greg's, what he uses as a drum kit. And I th yeah. just always assumed it was a lot bigger than it was. Yeah. <laughs> I, was totally. like, I was just like, how the fuck does that guy get so many sounds out of so few things? It yeah. was just mind blowing. The whole evening yeah. was mind blowing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I mean, Greg, I think, um, I think, I think Greg was, I mean, I don't, I mean, I think he probably had like a normal size kit growing up. Um, I know he was really like inspired by seeing the roots at one point and like in quest love had a super minimal kit. And I remember, uh, so I th that, that could be part of it, but yeah, I mean, I also think it's par partially like, uh, Greg as an improviser, uh, just having a curiosity about what, what are the sounds that you can get out of these instruments, you know, like what can you do, um, with this very finite set of set of things. And, um, yeah, he's, he's special. <laughs> <laughs>
Have you, have you as a band improvised? So, I mean, you've been together for quite a long time that where you can anticipate what one another's doing and then like sort of, um, sort of fuck fuck with it to go into different directions. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, we all have it to a certain degree. Ed and I as guitar players and the fact that we've been playing together for 25 years now, like that, um, we, I think we we've developed a sort of shared language and, and so definitely like I can tell when he's going into something and, and I'll be like, I know where you're going. Um, and I think we all have that to a certain degree. I mean, it's funny, like the degree, like how much we're talking about improvisation because dear have almost never talks about it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like it's really like, it's, it's, I think it's in all of us and it's part of, uh, of what we do, but the band, um, it's, it's something that happens within, like, we don't, we almost never just like get, get, get together and improvise. We did, um, we, we did it. We did one recording in Oakland where we re- like recorded a couple hours of improvisations. I don't even remember why, but like, um, other than that, like, it's not something that the band, like, we don't like, we don't practice that. Like, basically it's like, um, it's kind of we train everything we train everything else so that when that happens when when we fall we have these moments we don't know what's going we don't really don't know what's going to happen like it, it could be almost anything <laughs> um we don't have that much expectations or whatever but yeah i mean i think we all understand each other like um super well and i and i think one of the things with um with having played together for a long time too is like uh, sometimes you can see where something's going and be like, ah, fuck that. I don't want to do that. Like, I'm not doing that, you know? So I'm going to do like, I'm intentionally not going to do that I'm, I'm, and because I don't want to do that. And I've heard that and everybody else has heard that and we're not going to do that. And I think that like, that's something that you can sense is, um, is us fighting each other, you know? Um, or just like somebody will just like stop and be like, no, I'm done and this has been going on (laughs) or, you know, this kind of thing. So I think that there's a, I mean, and I think that's, um, I mean, in a sense, like, you know, improvisation can be like that. uh, One of the best concerts I saw when I lived in California was, a. um, there's this, uh, Dutch duo, um, Han Benink is the drummer and the, and the piano player, Misha Mengelberg. And, they're both just, you know, incredible musicians, complete opposite personalities. Han Benning is like the most high energy, like virtuoso percussionist. Uh, you know, he can play, uh, I've seen him do all kinds of different things, but, um, one concert I saw, uh, he, it was a duo, but Han comes out by himself, grabs a symbol, like an 18 inch symbol, throws it like 20 feet into the air <laughs> He stands on his drum stool, waits for it to hit the ground, and he jumps off his drum stool and just basically takes a 15-minute drum solo at the beginning of their duo concert. (laughs) The the pianist doesn't come out. It's 15 minutes of this drum solo. Finally, Benning stops, and he starts going like, Misha, Misha, like trying to get Misha to come onto the stage. And finally, he like Hominick leaves the stage, and eventually, this this old guy comes out with his glass of cognac, puts it down onto the on onto the piano, and plays like 
one chord and plays another chord. But my point being like this kind of like uh, this sense of conflict or like extreme opposites of personality um, is stuff that, that I think we all like and think is funny and like to cultivate sometimes. And I think we have some of that in Deerhoof for better or for worse at times, you know? And so like, it's, it's very, um, it's, we, we can, we can sort of push, push that stuff. Um, I act like everything, like it's like present tense, but I haven't even seen those guys in like 15 months. You know? <laughs> do you, so, do you keep in touch though? Cause that's, Oh yeah. We, we, uh, we do, uh, Skype meetings every week. And, so, uh, you've all lived in separate cities for, cause it's funny. I watched an interview with you where I think you were new to Albuquerque. I think it was like, Oh yeah, I've only been here for, and you're, because you referred to your wife as your girlfriend. So it must've been a while. Ah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, yeah, we decided to get married on our 20 year anniversary of being together. So we're like, all right, let's just do it. Um, so how has Albuquerque been, how is that as a music city? I, I think it's great. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm sure I don't even know a lot of what goes on, but like, um, there's a, there has been a really interesting DIY music scene, um, you know, between like house shows and like sort of gallery shows and things like that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's great. I've made a lot of, uh, of great friends here and there's a lot of great musicians and, um, yeah, it's, it's fun for sure. Do you, do you think you'll be staying there for a while? We don't know. Um, my, my wife just got her PhD and she's doing a postdoc here for six months. And then after that, we just don't know. I mean, we like it here. I mean, this, this has been a great place to be during a pandemic. Let me tell you, like I, I, I can be, you know, in the woods or in the mountains or, in, you know, whatever in like 10 minutes in various different terrains in different directions. So it's been quite nice and weather wise, it's been super nice. So, what originally drew you to the, did you go to, the, I forget, did you say you went to school in the Bay area or you just moved there to. Yeah. I, so I moved out there to, um, to go to this school. Basically I, I was living in Minneapolis and our band kind of had been broken up and this other band that Ed and I had. And like, I was just like, I would, I had stayed on at this job I had gotten at the university of Minnesota. Um, so like a student job and I was, just kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel like I need to learn things, but I don't really know how. And like, I didn't, I didn't have a background in like, um, like I couldn't read music and things like that. And so, um, I just started looking around online. This is early online, I guess, like 1997 or whatever, but like, and I found this school called Mills college in Oakland and they had an electronic music and recording media programs where you can, you know, they, you learn how to do multi-track recording and all this, but there's also this kind of electronic music component. And it basically, once you're there, so you can apply it to composition or to electronic music recording media. And like, once you're there, it's the same but you can get in through the back door <laughs> if you don't, you know, if you can't read music and this kind of thing. And so that's, that's how I got there. And, um, yeah. And I, I actually only did one year. So that's where I met Greg and, um, he was in his second year. And so I joined Deerhoof within a couple months and then we played his thesis concert in that April or whatever it was. Um, and, uh, 
which he had a, he had, uh, it's not funny actually, but he had broken his leg. He'd gotten hit by a car. It broke his bass drum leg. And so he had just switched his bass drum foot to his left foot and was still playing. And it was like, it was as if it hadn't happened. I mean, he just sounded exactly like himself. <laughs> it was crazy. Damn, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so, so yeah, so that I, and then, so I, I did one year of that program and, um, and then we just started touring basically. So I dropped out. Got Oakland and San Francisco, totally different place in 97. That's roughly around the first time I went and it was like still like gritty and yeah. now it's, yeah. well, it's funny. It's like my context, I, I haven't been back a ton, um, I've only been back a few times since going back. The last time I went was just like, wow, this is a new place. <laughs> <laughs> the Tenderloin, the last time I was there, the Tenderloin still was, yeah. was pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We got put into a hotel that the guy I was touring with thought, I think he thought it was going to be real fancy, and it was it was clearly a transient hotel with, like, one of the guys had a milkshake, like, went into his supposedly clean room, and there was a dried milkshake <laughs> on a table. <laughs> yeah, you got to pay extra for that. <laughs> uh, do you improvise by yourself? Do you do solo imp- Like, because you said the show's in Albuquerque. I was just curious if you ever do, like, solo improv- improvise. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, um, usually, like, it's not... It's not um, Usually I, I sort of find a little, I, uh, put it this way. I, I, the first time I played a solo show, I like, I'd had like this body of potential stuff that I could play and that I could sort of, uh, play with, play around within. And, um, was, you know, I'd never done it before. So it was exciting and new and I, had a 30 minute set ish and I played it and it went really well and I was really happy with it. And so I was like, I'm going to book another one of those. I'm going to do it again. And it was like two months later. And all of a sudden it's like a week before it. And I'm just not feeling any of it. I just couldn't do it again. I was like, it's not like I couldn't technically do it, but it just didn't feel musical to me. You know, like it just, it was like, ah. so I was like, I got to figure something else out. So <laughs> I, I um, just kind of like scrambled around and just like, like, I think a lot of like times nowadays, the way I approach stuff like that is more as like, like a producer in a way than as a musician, like, I'm thinking about it more in terms of like sound sculpting and like coming up with a compelling sonic language that I can just sort of play around with for a few minutes that won't bore everyone. And like, so that, that's what I've ended up doing um, since then. Like I've, for each concert, I would just sort of come up with a little world um, and uh yeah it's fun it's it's uh it's always like heart-wrenching and terrifying i mean i can't imagine doing stand-up it's just like <laughs> oh well i don't do it anymore so <laughs> oh, okay gotcha but it was uh I, it's something uh, performing in general because i've done a variety of different kinds of performing never something i really felt uh good about like i just oh. i was never like I got it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I, th- I don't. Maybe that's how people always feel. Like I always feel like any creative person is sort of searching for something. Yeah. And that always changes. Did do you feel that way? Like there, like you definitely have your voice, but is there something you still feel like you chase to try to find? If that. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny. Like, there's 
like in in collaboration as well it's like like for example if i'm working in deerhoof like that's a version of myself you know and like um and it's a version that if i'm deep in it and like especially like you know if you like at the end of a tour or something like i feel like you find ways to to sort of embody the the uh, how do i describe it i guess i would just say that like um i don't i don't like i feel in any in any particular situation like i'm i'm it's like uh just a snapshot like nothing really ever totally represents who i think i am as a musician or whatever <laughs> you know what i mean like it's i feel i and and i don't think that's a bad thing i i just think it's like it's it's just like this is this is part of of who i am you know what i mean or part of what what i do and i think that's fine um and i say i think it's the same with any of these other things like if i'm doing a solo improvisation thing or whatever like um yeah i don't know somebody somebody and i wish i could remember who but they it's somebody who played in a variety of different bands and they said they felt like each different band they played with they were portraying a different character does that yeah yeah i mean in a way i feel like um in deerhoof i feel like in a way it's like aspirational like i feel like i'm I'm like, in a way it's like maybe the band is better than the sum of its parts, but I feel like I also become better by rubbing up against (laughs) those guys. You know what I mean? Like, like not better technically, but like, I think through a support system, actually I was thinking about that in relation to stand up because like, you're, you're up there all alone if you're doing stand up and like with, with the band, it's like, I know if I have a shitty night, like those guys have got my back and like, we'll make something we'll, you know, we'll something good will come out of it. You know what I mean? And like, um, so yeah, I mean, I lost my train of thought. Um, I, yeah. I just, I was thinking with comedy and I think it goes into all performing really. It's like, you can't, you can't fake it. You can't. Yeah. If, and if the audience will sense for a second, if you're emulating someone else, trying to not be yourself, like even yeah, yeah. prior at his height, who I, I think I consider prior probably one of the top greatest, if not the greatest. And it's like the, that his famous concert that live on the sunset strip is the night before they filmed the, uh, uh, an hour or two hours of him doing stand up, and he fucking tanked. <laughs> like, oh, really? Which is like crazy to think of, like prior bombing for an hour. Right. Wow. But it, it, uh, that's, you never stop. You never stop bombing as a comedian. Like, if you, it, it, just, right. it never, I think maybe Chappelle might have, he's pretty brilliant from what I understand. Like, he'll just go out and talk for fucking ever without anything and will be right. captivating. Right, right, right. Um, I don't know if, I've, if we covered this, but it keeps coming back to me. So I was, I was wondering if there was, because I know we talked about you improvising as, and that was when you first felt connected to a guitar. Was there, was there, definitive moments or inspiration that sort of went from like uh, where you were 
listening to guys shredding and then where you were like, all right, I'm going to go into this completely different direction and sort of, I don't know if that's, um, I think like, uh, I mean, when I first started playing with Ed, like, I think the, at first we would just, you know, we did a lot of improvising. Um, but then when we started working on actually writing stuff, like, um, then it was like very, very much like a different kind of mindset. Cause it's almost like, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's writing. So it's, it, it's, you're, you have an idea of, of, a, of, um, a direction for something and like, it, it has nothing to do with um, like, it's not like somehow playing it much faster is going to be, make it more exciting. You, the, the, this is the tempo and this is what you want to happen in it, you know, um, that kind of thing. And like, um, yeah, I mean, I think for me in a way, like the, the, the also just, I, I getting to see actually going to Chicago and getting, I saw some really incredible, um, I went to a, a, an improvised music festival in Chicago in probably 97 ish. Um, uh, it was FMP this, um, I think they're a German record label, but it was like, uh, I saw the, the saxophonist Peter Brotsman. Um, so well, just a whole cr- incredible group of like European improvisers and like, and it, it was fascinating. There was this um, guitar player named Hans Reichel who invite invents invented um, his own um, instruments, and uh, they're all about. Actually, I, so, uh, there's a new a new one that's um, been circulating. I could send it to you. It's just incredible. Like um, he, so he's really interested in, in sort of um, all kind of finding all these weird resonances in the guitars and creating like false bridges so he can fret things. But then you get all these resonances of these, um, of these strings uh, kind of like sympathetic, kind of like, like a sitar or something, but like inventing a totally new instrument instrument. And, um, but like seeing things like that. And he was, uh, a self-styled virtuoso in the sense that like, he didn't I mean he was not a shredder, but he made incredibly beautiful music that was incomprehensible. And, um, that was utterly personal, you know, like seeing people like that was, I think, important for me. Like, um, I mean, I still have to be reminded of this constantly. I think about it all the time. Like, Oh, right. I don't have to make music like anybody else. Like there's still this part of me, like since COVID I've barely played the guitar. I mean, I, I play it to do recordings and when I'm working on, on that, but like I'm using it as a tool, like all these other tools, like, you know, and, and there's part of me that's like, Oh, like, you know, you're going to be kicked out of the cool club or whatever. It's just like, it doesn't matter. Like if like I'm, I'm, I'm trying still trying to come to terms with this. I feel like in a way, like with visual art or something, this kind of stuff goes out the window a little bit quicker or more readily. Um, it's more about like people finding their language and sort of committing, you know? And, and I feel like in music, there's always this sensibility 
um, because there is, I, I guess, I mean, it makes sense. It's time-based. It's like performative. You, you have to have some ability to generate, you know, <laughs> on the spot, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's, I still have to constantly be reminding myself, like, God, it's, it's okay. You know, it's wild. And then, Oh, go ahead. Oh, just that, that though. So after so many years of doing it that you still have, I mean, I have to, I have to do it with just how to present myself throughout the day. <laughs> it's just like, remind yourself like nothing, beca- it, like it doesn't become second nature. You have to be like, all right, I have to do this and that. And it, I know I was speaking in vague terms, but I, I think you've got what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, yeah. There's okay. oh I was just because we were talking about speed and shredding and all these things and I, it's something that uh do do musicians often think of 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 how to play with silence in in sort of on the flip of that um I'm 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 sure people do I mean I think that's one thing that um I mean the classic is. Miles Davis, I think, talked a lot about that. But like, um, in Deerhoof, we talk about it um, in the context of like, if I, I think you know the tendency, um, if if it's like if you if if we do write in a moment of okay, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, or something's going to happen. If you do that the tendency is to like freak out <laughs> in that moment. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, I got my moment. I'm going to freak out. <laughs> and like, and it, and it makes sense, you know, but like, um, we, over the years, um, you know, a lot of the uh, discussion has been about like, like you can make the decision to play uh, nothing or to, or for example, like a lot of times in in our case, it's not so much that you're like, um, so our music will be like really tightly written, but the idea is that these, that um, we're always trying to find ways of, of playing it, of feeling of, of being able to respond to everybody and, and feel the moment and, and alter the way you play. And like that alteration doesn't necessarily have to be inserting notes between everything else. It can be removing notes, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, um, so that's, a uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny too. And I think everybody hears those kinds of, um, hears, silence in these situations in different ways. And oftentimes we'll be hearing them differently at the same time. Like if we're playing a concert and like, um, like we go into like, like a sort of zone of, uh, space or something and, or a zone where we don't know what's going to happen. And somebody's just like plays one note and leaves tons of space. Like that person might be thinking of this moment as like, um, uh, you know, it's like, uh, they're relaxed and they're allowing themselves to be relaxed in that moment and, pl- and take space, take their space and kind of, and somebody else could be just kind of like, ah, this, this show sucks. And like, and we got to move on, you know, this is stupid. And like, so you're, that kind of stuff is always happening. And like, but I think we've sort of at least, tried to, to, um, 
sort of push ourselves to allow each other. I mean, a part of it too is like um, sort of politeness in a way. It's like if someone like give if someone wants to say something, give them the time to say it, um, and like uh, wait till their thought is done. And of course, that I mean that no one really knows what that thought is yet because it's never happened before. And so even the person doing it doesn't necessarily know when that thought is done. Um, and so it's a lot of mind reading, you know, it's like, um, it's the same reason I like watching soccer. It's mind reading. Are you a soccer? I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I've watched it and it's fascinating to watch. I know you hurt your toe yeah. playing soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I'm still dealing with the repercussions of that stupid broken toe. How long ago was that? It was a year and a half ago, okay. and I, I, I broke the toe, but and it was like, um, and then we went on tour, and so I had to be functional and like moving gear and walking and stuff, and so I, I just walked weird for a while, and so then that gave me arthritis in an area of my foot and then eventually kind of chilled out. And then occasionally it just comes up. Like I'll just get, wake up in the morning and get out of bed. And it's like, it's like, whatever it's old person stuff. <laughs> I, hey, I just had a hip replacement. So I know old person. Oh man. And Are like, you all right? Yeah. It was in November. Okay. I got for my birthday. I got it roughly. <laughs> yeah. As we all do. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's like a genetic family thing. It's like a, everybody gets it young. I had two brothers get it and it's just like, but it's, you know, it's, you're just like, f- fuck. I'm like the, when it's, the, you just start thinking like, oh shit, these things are happening. Like it's, that's yeah, 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 that's totally. I'm in my body. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, it, it could be genetic in my family too. My, my, my mom's had, hers and my brother had his and we'll see yeah it's uh it's weird though because i like they gave me uh what's the god awful oh they gave me oxycontin and i wasn't it's not a very like i I wasn't in a lot of pain and i'm like i was like taking tylenol i was like you don't need to give me oxycontin like i had a huge bottle of oxycontin right which i got rid of because i've read the news it's not good stuff yeah oh it's good stuff but not good stuff. yeah exactly (laughs) i was on it in the hospital i was like listening to music on my headphones and i I was like yeah and then i got home i got i got hernia surgery two years ago and when i was in the recovery room i still don't know if this is real (laughs) i i uh i remember basically i or no, I was in, I was still in the surgery and, um, apparently I woke up and I, I remember hearing somebody say, Oh, he's, uh, he's awake. Give him fentanyl. And I still don't know if that happened or not. I mean, I was really out of it when I was came, came out of it in the, in the, whatever the, um, recovery room. But yeah, that was the first time I had anything like the, any surgery or spent the night in the hospital. And it was just, it, it is. It's a surreal, and you're just on a gob of drugs. So I don't. Right. Not. Uh, I hope I don't ever. That's why I was just like started immediately getting healthier because I was like I don't ever want to fucking spend another night in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um. Well, I want to thank you very much for your time, John. I, I this was really great. Um, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Don't worry me.
Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwire.com or Conversations with The Wire at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.